Friends, at this time, I want to give you full permission to turn off your phones. Full permission to put them at a distance from you so that the buzzing doesn't distract your attention, so that we can hear the sounds of sand and motion and movement, so that we can hear the sound of silence. Beloved, let us pray. Speak, Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. Speak, Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. Speak, Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. Help us to listen. This we pray in the name of the one who listens to us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For those of you who sync your actual calendar with the church calendar, so all four of you, well then you know that we are officially past the halfway mark of our Lenten journey, which means there's no turning back. In two week time, in two weeks time, we will wave our palms of praise and begin our final descent to Good Friday and our final ascent to Easter Sunday. For those of you who are less familiar with this liturgical season, Lent is a 40-day journey where Christians around the world engage in a time of reflection and repentance, contemplation and prayer. That's the churchy definition. According to Twitter, Lent is a time where Christians around the world fast or give something up for 40 days. In fact, this topic has become so popular over the years that OpenBible.com created an annual Twitter Lent tracker, tallying what thousands of people around the world are tweeting that they are giving up for Lent this year because we all know how much God loves it when we boast about our spiritual practices on social media. Then every year, it publishes the top 100 sacrifices, including your usual suspects like chocolate or red meat, to more surprising things like vegetables and homework. <laughs> but the top three things that people are giving up for Lent this year in 2023 just so happen to be the exact same things that people have chosen for the last five years running, just in different orders. And they are as follows. Alcohol, social networking, and Twitter. <laughs> now let me start by saying that I have zero issues with this practice. Fasting is a well-known spiritual discipline. And hey, if giving up chocolate helps you draw closer to God, then I am all for it. But what gives me pause about this particular practice is that it tends to make this holy season of Lent more about piety than humility, more about sacrifice than gratitude, more about what we are doing than what Jesus has already done. I think Rosemary said it best a few weeks ago, and Michelle just mentioned it during our confession sequence. Lent is an opportunity, an invitation to tell the truth about ourselves, yes, but about God as well. And so this Lent, we at First Pres are accepting that invitation. Throughout these 40 days, we are telling the truth about ourselves and the wilderness places in our lives and the fears they bring out in us. 
But more importantly, we are telling the truth about God. And the fact that ours is a God who journeys right into the heart of the desert to wrestle with us, to see us, to guide us, to meet us in our place of deepest need. Yes, the wilderness is a terrifying place, but it is also holy and good. And so today, on this fourth Sunday in Lent, we continue our journey into the wilderness with the prophet Elijah on Mount Horeb. By the time we encounter Elijah in our passage for today, a lot has already gone down. Here is a guy whose primary job description was to deliver really bad news to really bad people, which he did without hesitation or complaining even when it inevitably resulted in some really bad consequences. For example, a price being put on his head. After making a fool of the wicked king Ahab, humiliating almost a thousand false prophets and then killing each and every one of them, Ahab's queen, Jezebel, vows to take Elijah's life. Understandably, this causes Elijah to flee straight into the wilderness. And that is where our story picks up today. Let us listen now to what God has to say to us about the wilderness and our fear of silence in 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a cake baked on a hot stone and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, 
But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? The word of the Lord. In 2015, Microsoft built a room that the Guinness World Book of World Records has since deemed the quietest place on the planet. Located in Redmond, Washington, this chamber has a background noise reading of negative 20 dBAs, or A-weighted decibels. By way of comparison, for those of you who are not familiar with dBAs, I am not, a library reading room is about 40 dBAs. The longest anyone has been able to stay in this room is just shy of an hour, with most people leaving the room anywhere from 20 minutes to just a few seconds. Why? Well, because within the first few minutes of being in that room, you begin to hear your own heartbeat, followed by a deafening ringing in your ears. If you move, you can hear your own bones grinding and your blood pulsing. Then due to complete absence of reverberation, you begin to lose your balance and spatial awareness. Based on this example, one might conclude the following. Silence is disorienting. In a 2014 study conducted by social psychologist Timothy Wilson, Volunteer subjects of varying ages were left in a lab room for 15 minutes without their phones or belongings or any other form of activity or entertainment. Instead, they were given the option to either sit silently and do nothing or push a button that would trigger an electric shock. Now, despite the fact that every person who participated in this study previously stated that they would pay money to avoid being shocked, 67% of the men and 25% of the women in this study ended up pushing that button and shocking themselves over just sitting in silence and doing nothing. Based on this study, one might conclude the following. Silence is disturbing. Now, I know that these conclusions are not that surprising or far-fetched. We don't need to build a soundless room or give ourselves electric shocks to realize that we as human beings live who are living in the year 2023 do not like, we do not prefer, in fact, we downright avoid being in silence. Which makes sense because we live in a world full of noise. From the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep, we are bathed in the sounds of life, the chime of an incoming email or text, the tapping on our keyboards or our phones, the chatter of conversation, the droning on of talking heads on the news, the incessant yammering of a preacher. Oh my goodness, the noise never stops, does it? And yes, a lot of the times it feels like the cacophony of sound is simply out of our control. 
It's the price we pay for living in modernity. But let's be honest. A lot of the times we are the ones turning on the radio. We are the ones turning up the volume. We are the ones doing everything we can to avoid silence. Why? Well, as Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, quietude is something which men and women cannot abide because it reveals our inward poverty. In other words, silence reveals that which we lack, that which we need. Silence exposes those prayers that are so deep within our souls that only God can draw them out. Only God can give them voice. Yes, silence can be disorienting and even disturbing, but here's the thing. We believe that it can also be a gift. A gift that perhaps is most easily found and readily accepted in the wilderness. As we have named over the past few weeks, the wilderness is a place that no one would ever choose to go, a place where we don't have control, where our usual tricks don't work, where hunger and thirst and fear overtake us. Jacob in the wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness, Jesus in the wilderness. And yet as every wilderness narrative in the Bible shows us, it is in that very place of sheer desperation and despair that the two most fundamental truths of life click in. First, that we are not the masters of the universe or even our minuscule corner of the universe. God is. And second, that we are children of that God, which means that we are loved by God, we are claimed by God, even in the wilderness or perhaps especially in the wilderness. Just look at our passage for today. Unlike the experiences of Jacob or Jesus, for Elijah, the wilderness was a place of refuge, not of reckoning or abandonment or even of temptation, but a place he could go to be safe, to be fed, to rest. The things we fear about the wilderness, the, the things that we hate about the wilderness were the very things that offered comfort to Elijah there. Solitude, invisibility, powerlessness, even the possibility of death. But none of those things were granted to Elijah because God sent the prophet an angel, not once, but twice, to provide him with enough food and water and strength to travel deeper into the wilderness, deeper into isolation, deeper into the quiet, not to suffer, not to be tempted, and not to die. No, no, Elijah went to the wilderness so he could encounter God. Friends, as the story goes, three powerful manifestations for the divine passed by Elijah. Manifestations that God had used in the past to reveal God's presence to God's people. But this time, it was different. This time, Scripture goes out of its way to tell us that the Lord was not in any of those things, not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone goes out of their way to tell me where something isn't, they better plan on telling me where something is, right? 
but we don't get that. Instead, we are told that after all that chaos and destruction and noise, there was the sound of sheer silence. And only upon hearing that sound, Elijah wraps his face, goes to the entrance of the cave, and meets his maker. And that right there is the gift of silence, the wisdom of silence. In this passage, we see that silence itself is not the voice of God. When we are in the wilderness, when our hearts are full of fear and doubt, God does not go silent on us. God does not turn away from us. God does not forsake us. In this passage, in the wilderness, we see that silence is what enables us to hear the voice of God. Silence is the absence of all the other voices that are constantly vying for our attention and our allegiance. Silence is surrendering our fear over what will come to the surface if we just stop and listen to what emerges from the depths of our soul. Silence is trusting that the voice of God is not one of judgment or wrath or destruction, but of comfort, of peace, and of hope. And so I am well aware that I have already said way too much for a sermon on silence. <laughs> the irony is not lost on me. And the good news is that the opportunity for silence is not lost on us. In just a minute, our amazing choir is going to offer a musical reflection. Allow that to be a stairway into silence. Use that time to quiet your mind. Listen to what is emerging from within your soul. Try to tune out those distractions. And when the noise of the world begins to creep back in, remember the Lord was not in the noise. Then Laura and Mark will guide us in a time of actual silence. It will be awkward and it will be uncomfortable. Embrace the silence. May we have the courage to welcome it and the faith to, the faith to listen to the voice of God. Beloved, let us enter into a time of silence.